and family thinks it's important, and so they start it. So it's always like the one lone class. Hello. Hey, Hello. <laughs> how's it going? Can you hear everybody? Uh, just barely. Let me uh, let me turn up the volume here. All right. <clears throat> well, we're we're just sitting down to record, so you could be part of our opening. Oh, awesome! <laughs> yeah, maybe Salome will spit up for you. Recorded live at Talks and Tasting Studios, it's the Clerical Errors Podcast. The podcast that shows you what's behind the collar. Let's go. From the Talks and Tasting Studio, I have to say that because Hannah's watching us, this is the Clerical Errors Podcast. I'm Bullhagen. I'm Burke. I'm Vicar. I'm wait, 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 wait. Vickers never go before pastors. I'm Bullhagen. I'm Burke. Is it my turn? <laughs> I'm Burke. And wait, wait, wait. The associate producer. <laughs> I'm Hannah, associate producer. <laughs> All right. And? I'm Vicar. <laughs> and Peter's here. How you doing, Pete? Hey, Pete. Well, this is... And we have... Who else is with us? Hannah? Little baby Salome. Snoozing away. Congratulations. Thank you. You probably noticed that at our last episode, we wanted to talk, talk with you, and I didn't know how to... Bring it up. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's uh, one of many awkward transitions in this podcast. Yes, we're good at that. <laughs> so uh, how have you been? Good? It's been, yeah, miles better than um, turning into a parent for a first time. That was uh, kind of a shock. Unlike Vicar 17.0, I didn't have much prep Um uh, plus, my first daughter's birth was very long and ended up with me in the intensive care unit for two nights. Oh, my. Separated my. from her. So that was really a bumpy start um, as well, a parent. Well, I wanted to talk to you because uh, I, I figure you had an interesting story. Uh, we at the Clerical Heirs podcast, we have this text chain and we get this text saying something like, oh, yeah, I had a baby in the car. <laughs> Yes, I oh. did in fact have a baby in the car. So whereas I had the typical hours and hours long labor the first time as a mother, the second labor was much shorter. I don't know how well schooled you gentlemen are in these stages of labor, but the first stage of labor has um, generally more gentle contractions. And then there's a transition period and then things get real. So mm-hmm. I got to that transition. We, we period. all, we all, uh, we all understand here at the Clerical Heirs Podcast. Okay. Yeah. All right. We are, you know, we kind of know almost exactly what you feel, right? <laughs> <laughs> we are. Speak for yourself, Carl. <laughs> I mean, uh, Pastor Bullhagen. <laughs> well, I, I might be a, a father, but I, I identify as someone who's given birth. So. <laughs> oh, good luck with that one. <laughs> hmm. I did. So I had, once. <laughs> you know, my husband can actually identify with the um, pelvic pain because he fell two stories from a fire escape onto asphalt and punched his femur through his pelvis. Oh, so he, he can actually relate a little bit. Uh, you got the best stories. <laughs> my I, goodness, I think you. I think you win. <laughs> Congratulations. <sighs> And by the way, uh, <sighs> listener, if you're still listening, you are listening to the Talks and the Clerical Ears <laughs> podcast. 
<laughs> oh. We've only gotten to the transition period of my labor story. Oh. Keep going. Keep going. Uh, so we we had not planned a hospital birth. We were planning on going to a freestanding birth center. So they say to call the on-call midwife when you're in active labor, and then you'll discuss when to come in. So I called the on-call midwife, um, and she was not impressed with the uh, length of my contractions and told me to call back later. Well, I called back shortly after I transitioned. I called the, the call center, and they were... Um, taking my info. Actually, Arthur was taking info, but then a neighbor came over to deal with the toddler, so Arthur had to let her in, gave the phone to me to spell my last name. So, I shouted into the phone, A as in aardvark, A as in aardvark, B as in baby, E as in egress window, R as in rowdy, G as in god! You know, just the first thing that came to my head for all the letters of my name. And it was about that time I had realized I had lost my sense of humor and that this baby was probably coming pretty soon because right. I was I was definitely getting into the second stage of labor. Hmm. So now this, the midwife is on speakerphone and we are headed out the back door because it feels like this baby is, is coming imminently. And I'm pinning all my hopes on the fact that labor will slow down once I get into the car. Because that's what happened the first time. Hey, I have a question. What kind of car is it? It is a Prius. Uh, 2005. It's got over 300,000 miles on it. I bought it from my dad before he went to Japan. Holy hmm. buckets. Wow. Is it scotch guarded? Um, you know, we had we had towels aplenty, and there was very little cleanup to do. Awesome. I'm so sorry. <laughs> You've been listening to this show long enough that I can be an idiot sometimes. So, so this makes the rest of us feel better. So you, 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 you hope it slows down while you're in the Prius. Right. So, but to get to the car, we have to walk through the alley because there's no parking on our street for street sweeping. So my husband had moved the car. So on the way up the alley, I pause at a garbage cart to catch my breath and ponder, is that a baby's head that I feel? So I walk the rest of the way up the alley and stare at the car door. It's open. Arthur's opened it for me, but I'm not sure how I'm going to sit down. So I feel like there's a baby head that I might sit upon. Oh, my. <laughs> However, I this managed is, to get into the car. Yeah, this is like, this was my worst oh. nightmare. Like <laughs> when we, uh, when my wife had her stitch removed and we went in uh, for an appointment and she was going through contractions and stuff. Uh, yeah, we th- basically the contractions stopped and we went back home for two weeks and I was mm-hmm. deathly afraid of uh, of a car birth. Oh. So, yeah, you basically lived my worst nightmare. <laughs> it all turned out, though. It can turn out. Here's what happened. I got into the car. Arthur drove half a block. Things happened. I pulled the baby out of my pants. We kept on driving to the birth center. Baby turned pink immediately, started crying immediately. The umbilical cord was kind of wrapped around her shoulder, so I got that off. Um, I happened to have a fluffy robe in my go bag. I wrapped her up. Arthur turned the heat on real high, uh, put his hazards on. And so he drove quickly, but not too quickly to get pulled over because he didn't know what he was going to (laughs) do if he uh, heard a police car behind him. Then we made it to the birth center and everything was just fine. Thanks be to God. Wow. Did you get a discount? 
You know, I don't think they do that. I was a little disappointed. They didn't even clean the car for us, but <laughs> maybe I should ask. Yeah, you said, yeah. you said, you know, I did half the, I mean, I mean, you do, what do you have birth? You do most of the work anyways, but all the stuff that they do beforehand, you already took care of. Yeah, yeah. At least Yeah, so there you go. Something. There's my very exciting all's well that ends well car baby birth. Well, let's talk about uh, um, uh, we love we love your your name of your daughter. Can mm. you explain uh, uh, what uh, why you chose that name and uh, what yes. it means? Because I know we yeah. all here at the podcast know that when you give a name, you don't just give a name. You put a lot of thought behind it. Am I wrong? Right. Yeah. Uh, there's there yes, a good amount of thought went into it. Um, with every important project, um, I did what I always do: make a spreadsheet. So on the spreadsheet, Bert, what are you? What's that look on your face? <laughs> my brain just does not work that way, Hannah. So I'm, I'm, uh, you know, my I just I'm, I thank God for people like you because that that means that I can play in my own little world. <laughs> so thank you. <laughs> All right. Uh, Arthur and I plugged in names that we both liked. Any any we of those up- from our suggestions, by the way. Oh, um, zero. Zero of them <laughs> were from your suggestions. Actually, uh, Bartholomew did get on there. Um, we didn't find out the sex of the baby ahead of time, so we had two lists. So then I looked up the popularity and the meaning of each name, because I didn't want a name that was going to be too popular or um, mean something unpleasant. For example, I love the name Leah, but it means weary. And that just seems unfortunate um or like marlo also love that it means bitter yeah mm, so yeah popularity meaning and then you're gonna love this too bert um mm. we scored each of the names individually <laughs> from one to five in a separate column in white font so that we couldn't see how the other person had scored it oh my goodness <laughs> then we created a third column to sum our scores and sort of the spreadsheet Oh my goodness. Numerically to see which were the top names. Well, that Boy, that, that sounds, is an efficient that, way to do it. <laughs> yeah, that sounds almost harder I, than <laughs> I hear that and I think we must drive you crazy sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> well, you may recall I started a spreadsheet for you guys months and months ago and uh don't know if anyone opened it. That's fine. I stopped uh putting anything into it. But I clicked it. I clicked it once. Oh, thank you, Peter. You're 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 the reason I keep clinging to this podcast in hopes that someone will listen to me. I said I, I clicked it, I saw it, I laughed and said there's no way these guys will use this and closed it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yep, accurate. Um and and the most important thing is uh Sunday's a big day, right? Yes, Sunday is the big day. Um so uh Salome uh is a Hebrew variant of peace. Shalom, a word for peace. And so we will bring her to the baptismal font on the Sunday, um, and she can experience the peace which surpasses all understanding. Um, and then she will sleep through the night every night and no longer um, get fussy because she's all gassy. Right? Yeah. That's the way it works. Sure. Re- def- <laughs> de- definitely. I, well, we, we, we can't promise it, but it sure makes, you know, it makes you sleep more soundly. 
Um, mm -hmm. You know, well, uh, well, as speaking as a as a pastor, you know, baptism is also an exorcism. Yes. And sometimes, yes. Hannah, it does take a little while for the the full effects of the exorcism to to take place. So don't get your hopes up. Like an entire is. lifetime, okay. pretty much. Yeah, yeah. And then well, someday you know, they hit twenty four, and they're a producer of your podcast, and that's really when it starts to take hold. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, there's there's also the fact that once you are a member of Christ's family, the devil redoubles his efforts to drag you away. So that is something to contend with as well. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, uh, um, on behalf of the Clerical Heirs podcast, Hannah, um, we thank you for your continued work. By the way, do you have any comments on the show? I reserve my comments for the show to uh, be thoughtfully written out and emailed or tweeted to you. Okay. Did you like the D&D preaching, though? I do. I like the D&D preaching. I like the idea of, um, is it a sin? I have I have one that I want to mail to you okay. already. Um, I really want you to address oratio, temptatio, and meditatio. This is like the third time that I've said something. Oh, <clears throat> Not saying, just saying. And I also, not just because you dedicated it to me last week, but I like the idea of dedicating episodes at, at the top. Okay, well, well, God's blessings to you and the whole family. And um, Thank you, thank you. And uh, we, are, we are excited that, one, that uh, your, your family, God's kingdom is expanding, and uh, also that you continue to do good work for the show. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> and thank you for putting up with us free spirit types that just don't really care about spreadsheets. Yes, I've had I've had plenty of practice with your free spirit types and I we we non-free spirit types need your type too. It takes all kinds. Amen. All right, and God's blessings on your family. It's it's really awesome. Thank you. Good yep. to see you all. Take care. Bye-bye. All right. Bye. Well, that was wonderful. I learned a lot. Yeah. Hannah has the best stories, I think. And we really are... I think that tops the pickle jar story, <laughs> honestly. Uh, Vicar, what are the texts? We have two texts today, choice that options. Yeah, choice of two for Advent 4. We've got either John 1, 19 to 28, or Luke 1, 39 to 56. So you either get to talk about, what, the birth of John the Baptist or, or yeah, it's either the birth of John the Baptist or the well, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Yeah, the testimony of John the Baptist. So you know, if you, if I had the choice between the two, I would go with behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Mm -hmm. What do you think, Bullhagen? I would fight me on this. What was the first one again? <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. So 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 first one's it's John one nineteen to twenty eight. So that's the testimony of John the Baptist. And yes. yeah, it goes goes right up to yeah to right before where he where he says you know behold the Lamb of God so it ends right before that. Oh man, you mean my favorite verse isn't in there? Uh, sorry, it's, I have to it's, add it. It's nineteen to twenty eight, not twenty nine. Mm. That's what the lectionary says. Uh, the other one is Luke one thirty nine to fifty six. So that's Mary's visit to Elizabeth and the Magnificat. Okay, I change. I change. Um, I probably go with Mary, Elizabeth, and the Magnificat. I'm sticking to John 1. Why is Adverg? Well, remember... the sermon's written already. It, the sermon's written... <laughs> yeah, the sermon's written already. This, the second thing is, is that um, here we get John in his natural habitat, a Studebaker. 
But I mean, that's from the Muppets. But anyway, um, John in his natural habitat as a preacher, right? You, I can't remember who who mentioned it, but uh, what was it last episode? Uh, they mentioned that John the Baptist doesn't make much of an appearance in the one year lectionary, mm. and here I think we get a great uh, picture of John preaching and teaching. Um, we see too, uh, and this actually I got the idea for my sermon from an email that both Bert and I were a part of. Uh, where a couple of our friends were talking about the office of the ministry. You were in on that email, too? I was in on that email, too. I've been chastised heavily for not reading that email, and I finally read it now. So, Well, I mean, uh, if that email were ever published, uh, I don't think all the books in the, the world would be filled with books of... of uh, <laughs> and I we guess have very verboi- verbose, verbose friends, right? We do. Yeah. Which is a blessing from God. Makes me ask the question, why didn't I get the email? <laughs> I think everybody knows that. <laughs> no, you would have loved it. What's that? What's that? TLDR, right? <laughs> too, too long, didn't read. But anyway, so I actually kind of, that this conversation actually gave me a great idea for John 1, um, where usually uh, a lot of pastors, because of their, their flesh, uh, they will actually use their office in order to kind of exercise this tyranny of, of the experts. Um, and yet we don't see John doing that. No. John doesn't appeal to his office, even though he could have. Uh, we see that John uh, always points to his message. And we see that the Pharisees do the opposite. They, they basically come down to a position of, uh, uh, it comes down to a position of authority, to office. It's like, well, why are you baptizing? Why are you preaching this novel stuff if you're not the Christ or the prophet or whatever. Right. Wouldn't um, that be a good way of, of understanding the Reformation? They're, they're kind of like, yeah, exactly. They're kind of like like the Pharisees. I, I think of them as, I, I compare them to dogs, right? That's they rough. Are, they're dogs who are very territorial, right? They're marking their territory, and they've come to sniff out John, right? They want to know if he's a beta and is going to get in line, or is he an alpha, and they got to roll over. But John doesn't even play that game, right? Uh, he continues to point them to the one who is coming, to the coming Christ. Hmm. Um, and uh, as pastors, our authority doesn't lie in our office, but it always, it's, o- it's only ever been centered and in the Word, right? The Word is the reason why our office has any power. So, which is which yeah. is why you know, I don't like to use a lot of personal examples in sermons. And I'm sure maybe you've heard a sermon where you just have to say to yourself, you know what? I don't really think a pastor's life is more interesting than anybody else's life. Yeah, we're pretty boring, actually. That's kind of how it is. Yeah. You know, but you'll hear a sermon where a guy, you know, fixes his truck. Well, I was fixing my truck the other day. and Yeah. Yep. Yep. I, I love how John does this, though, because he's asked, are you Elijah? Are you the prophet? Are you, you know, if you're not these guys, then why do you come baptizing? What do you say about yourself? And he, he doesn't say much about himself at all there, does he? He right. just says, I am a voice right. crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, right? You know, he, he is he, he's not me. It's this voice. It's this word that's coming out, and it's coming to get you. He's always redirecting to the Christ. Yeah, with judgment and mercy, right? This voice. It's, it's law and gospel. Yeah. Yeah, good. Which is a good portrait of every e- evangelical preacher. Mm-hmm. This is what we should all strive to be. To be. Yeah. And that, that's a good Advent lesson. Prepare and, and, and the I, way for the Lord. And not just mm-hmm. pastors, though, but also every Christian, because this yes. word belongs to every Christian. Amen. That's right. And every Christian 
uh, has this word and can do the same thing and point to the coming Christ, right? The Christ who has already come, um, and so that's uh, that's a glorious thing too. This is why lay people, you know, they have the same authority when they have the word of God, right? Uh, and they can stand against a multitude of foes, right? Exactly, and and they they can confess the same name. In fact, the Christian is able to speak the word of God because the Christian is called to do it by God, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, this happens in our vocations. Um, it's clericalism to say that only the pastor can tell people about Jesus. Christians, everybody should tell people about Jesus. That's important, and and it, it is a moral thing. I think you know um, mm-hmm. it's it's one of those one of those things that's in that uh, what in that second commandment, right? Uh, um, it doesn't say you shall not use the name of the Lord your God, but it says you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, right? Use it, right? <laughs> you know, speak of it, proclaim it. It's uh, it's there every time a Christian is there in the pew confessing the creed. It's there every time the Christian is asked to about s- the hope that is within them, right? When Go they ahead. sing the hymns. When we sing the hymns, yeah. Right. yeah. The first and, petition. Right. And also to make sure that their pastor is preaching yes. the Word of God. Exactly, exactly. Definitely, yes. Every pastor mm-hmm. really tries to prepare their congregation with the understanding that I'm not going to be at this place forever. Right. And and also and, I, I say to my people, hold my feet to the fire. If you say if I say something that you don't quite understand or that you think is is wrong, you know, t- show me in God's word and uh, and let's talk about it. You know, let, just don't take my word for for granted. Uh, you know, or uh, you know, uh, let's uh, let's examine this in God's word and let, let's work together in this. So anyway. you know, I a little behind the collar moment here. There's nothing that makes me sadder. Then when somebody tries to call me on something, mm-hmm. but they don't use God's word. Mm. Yeah, right. Exactly. And, or when you bring it up and you're like, okay, well, let's work through this. Right. Don't take my word for it. And they say, well, we'll just have to agree to disagree. Yeah, I agree with that. I, that, oh, that just yeah. that kills me yep. because it's like, look, you're not rejecting me. Right. I'm, you know, I'm not some, some expert in all this. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's the word of God that stands over us, and you're actually rejecting the word of God, right? Like, and we do this so often. Like, well, that's just your interpretation, interpretation or opinion. What a lie from the devil that is! What a lie from the devil, and that obscures God's word, and we fall into it in our society because we have this this priesthood of experts mm. that are going to tell us all how to live and what to do. All the time, whether it be the doctor for your health or the priest for your soul uh, or the uh, CPA for your uh, retirement and all that stuff, what, which, what, what's left for you? Right. Ultimately, nothing. We think we're helping ourselves, but we're actually enslaving ourselves. And this happens in the church because people want to be lazy, right? I mean, really. Mm-hmm. Our flesh wants us to be lazy. We want the quick and easy answer. And... That's not the way it is. To be free in Christ means that there's some hard work going on. And that Amen. means you have to have wrestle with God's word. Imbibe it. Memorize it. Take a hold of it and not let it go. Be a dog with a bone. Read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest it. Yep. yep. Not take it to heart. LSB was lame on that. Amen. All right. So. That was great. 
So <laughs> <laughs> up next is what? Is it? Is it my? Do I get to talk? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Is that right? It's Bert's World. Yeah, it's a new segment called Bert's World, and I'm gonna do the Bert intro. Peter, play the intro. Bert's World, Bert's World, party time, excellent. So, uh, yes, we want to talk about Burt's World, and, and uh, I've been uh, working on a, a project lately in my basement. I, I, we struggled with the title for this, you know, Burt's World. It kind of comes from the 90s, you know, it's kind of cool, I guess. But uh, but the, the point what I'm trying to say is I got, I got this, this project in my basement that I'm working on right now that has sparked some theological topics or insights that have come into my mind. And the project is I'm working on building some wargaming terrain. Uh, and if you know my hobby, it's uh, I, I do um, war games, and I actually have an entire world that uh, I've developed with languages and uh, uh, stuff like that, kind of like J.R.R. Tolkien, but only in the uh, Napoleonic era rather than ancient. Or I have, I have yeah. a question. Do you, Go ahead. do you spend a lot of time alone as a child? Yes, I did actually, and I loved it. <laughs> every minute, every minute was great. You know, and, and you know. So just just so you know, as a child, I would go out in my backyard. And I would uh, I would throw rocks at leaves for hours because I liked how they crumbled and because I imagined that they were actually like soldiers in a battlefield and then coming together and you throw rocks and dirt clods at them and they blow up and I was I was kind of a weird child I'm sure and I'm still kind of weird and I understand that I'm, I'm embracing it fully well so, that's you know, why you're on the, the clerical heirs podcast right exactly we this are this is a, a, a ragtag group of misfits misfits right. Right, and exactly. Peter trying to hold the ship together. Right. Yeah. Ship. Ship. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Good. Good. Uh, anyway. <laughs> Either one. Really. Getting, getting back to my getting back to my thing. So what I've done lately is I've I've planted over 150 trees, doing my part for the environment. You know, really working on that carbon neutral thing. You know, I've also uh, planted uh, several acres of crops and built several miles of uh, stone wall. That's what I've been doing. But in your course, basement? Yes, in my basement. These are scale miles. You have to understand. Okay. They're scale miles. So each <laughs> I was really, really wait, 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 wait. They're scale trees. Last time you were here, I was trees. so impressed because you said, how was your morning? I planted 178 trees. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, and I was yeah. like, wow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not even Rieger would do that. Right, I know, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Inside joke. Yeah, right, right. So, so, yeah, these are scale trees. I mean, they stand about a centimeter and a half tall. And uh, the the uh, wall is about two millimeters tall, you know. But it got me thinking about walls. It got me thinking about why there are walls. And I mean, you know, it got me thinking about that poem from Robert Frost. You know, I'm kind of the free spirit. You know, I like poetry. And uh, you, you uh, do you know you, about uh, where yeah. the word wall came from? Um, no, it but I, you're going to enlighten me, which is it great. came from Latin into German. Okay, and they think it came in very early in the contact between. The Romans and and the Germans because it's Wale, Wale. right before uh, it the the W's turned into V's. Ah, be well, right? Wale, yeah, um, right, exactly. Right. So as time goes on, you know, we know turned into Vino, right. which became Vine, right? And so you can kind of see like there, some of those an etymological etymology is the study of words, everybody, and how they how they change over time, and words do change over time; they do happen. You know, but here the uh, the cool thing here. Uh, that I didn't know that Pastor Berg enlightened me on is that 
the word wall comes from the word be well in Latin. And it just goes right along with Robert Frost's poem, uh, good fences make good neighbors, right? Is there a theological point somewhere in there, Bullhagen, you think? Yes. I'm just trying to figure out who's paying for this wall. Uh, well, <laughs> I paid for that. I paid for it, you okay. know, but I'm pretty sure it was made <laughs> somewhere else. Uh, the, uh, okay. the, 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 wall, the wall pieces are about, you know, four centimeters long and two millimeters tall, and they're basically just sticks, like little sticks that have been... You, you, you know. realize the next person who lives in a parsonage is probably going to stop building the wall. Oh, yeah, I know. I know. Probably... <laughs> Let's hope it doesn't happen by January. It's going to something. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, right, right. So it's a futile wall, right? Exactly. But anyway, the, the, um, I was thinking about that. I was thinking, you know, good fences make good neighbors, you know. And uh, there, there is something about this. Um, God has given us uh, the seventh commandment: "You shall not steal." Right? Uh, he's given us uh, stuff, property, and uh, um, it's okay to mark out and say, "This property is my property, and it's not yours." And uh, there's something about that that's not a bad thing. But he also gives us this property, though, not so that it can be in our hearts as an idol, something we worship, something we trust in above all things, but uh, so that it can be in our hands, so we can take it and use it for the benefit of our neighbor and for mm-hmm. our own benefits as well. You know, and so um, don't let your property become your idol, right? Uh, but, uh, but hold it in your hands and use it for, for somebody else rather than... Uh, holding it in your heart as, as your idol. And I was thinking about that as I was putting up these walls. I, mean, I was thinking about who lives in that little... See, I've, I've actually built something like 250 houses, too, in the past couple of days, which is pretty awesome. Wow. You know, They all stand about yeah, five... Okay, 20 millimeters tall, but, you know... How do you even see the nails? Well, right, exactly. I know, I know. It's very tough. I have to have a very small... Uh, I have a very big magnifying glass and a very small hammer. <laughs> anyway, uh, but I, I built these 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 houses and these cities and things like that. I'm thinking, who lives in these places? You know, and who who is here? And and what is this like to to live in this in this uh, imaginary world that I'm creating? Uh, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun, and and it's something completely different that I can do without having to worry about anything else in the world. And uh, it's just good to have something like that. I think as a person, it's good to have something like that. But for me as a pastor, it's doubly good because I get these great theological insights about well, walls. Well, so, so really, yeah. we, we, the, the name of the segment, Bert's World, it's actually quite literal. It's a world, yes. Yes. <laughs> exactly. And there's another thing I want to talk about, just one more thing, one more thing about Bert's World. So like, there are these two groups of nations that are going to be fighting a war. What are they named? Well, yeah, th- that's a good question. So like, um, what, what happened is... Uh, there's this river called the the Mondrian River, which runs, you know, uh, basically from south to north. In, I like in how you this, say, you peninsula. know, like a... <laughs> yeah, I do, yeah. I do. You know, and, and, and so uh, up in the hills mm-hmm. of the Mondrian River, there's this nation called um, Mondrianville. And uh, this nation uh, basically has all the mines. And they, they, they get the, the, the precious metals, they get the uh, iron especially, and they ship it down the river to a place called Great Waters, which is uh, um, on the, uh, the tip of the northern peninsula, and that's another nation. And these two nations have, have some, some good uh, um, commerce, right? You know, you got, you got iron flowing down and food flowing up from great waters, you know, uh, so that they've got great, great commerce. But then there's this, this group of three little countries in the middle there that are trying to make some trouble for this, this great economic enterprise because you have to have some kind of a causus belly, 
right? Mm-hmm. If you're going to have a war, you have to have a cause for the war, at least one, right? You know, and uh, and so uh, this one nation that's right in the middle of them called you know these these names are silly, I know, but it's just the way it is. Rochellington, this this little nation here has built a city called uh, Gladstone, and they've started to to tax the uh, the commerce that's going up and down this Mondrian River, right? And the, the, the people at Great Waters and the people at Mondrianville are not happy about this. And so that's the cause of Spelly. And it also plays into some theological insights, too, because why do we have wars most of the time, right? There are some wars that are uh, uh, righteous wars that God commands, you know, and, and uh, that's, uh, that's something we can talk about, like, mm-hmm. in, the, in, the, in the judges and things like that. Not the Crusades. We talked about that one time, didn't we? Anyway, uh, but th- there's also... Um, why do we have these unrighteous wars? Why do we have these wars that, that happen? Well, James uh, chapter 4 talks about this. Uh, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people. Yeah, so there's a little bit of law for you today. So is, I have a yeah. question. Go ahead. So, ask. So is is there a religion in this world? Yeah, there is actually. There's uh, so, yeah, uh, the uh, the world is sort of like a a pre Messiah coming world, mm-hmm. uh, but with Napoleonic uh, uh, stuff. Okay, and uh, there there is a uh, a god. Who's just called to called in English the Maker, uh, but in in uh, in Bertonian the God is called Foxfeldo. Uh, he he made everything. That's what we know right now about the whole thing. And, and, and the religious aspects are not as well drawn out. But there 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 are this group of people called uh, uh, the the uh, did I call them pro- the prophets? Uh, they, they 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 live in a city called Apocalypse City, actually. Revelation City, basically, mm-hmm. and sounds uh, like a great theme park. By yeah, the way. yeah, yeah. Oh no, they're 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 the they're the lumen. They're the lumen because because they they, they, they enlighten. Yeah, right. Exactly mm-hmm. by revelation, basically, and they're supposed to teach uh, the word of Foxfeldo. You know, so yeah, yeah. Well, so, and you, you write this on a book. Yes, yeah, at some the, point. At some point, that's, that's a great way to do it because you have like the visual. Like, yeah, the world is real to you, and so writing right. the book would just be. Basically describing the world you've already created. Right. That's the idea. That's the idea. So each of these uh, pieces of of, uh, terrain are like on hexagons. They're 22 inches wide, and they represent one square mile, pretty much. Or one hexagonal mile. How do you say that? I don't know. Anyway. That's it. Peter, you have any questions about uh, what's the name of the world? Uh, Yeah. Yeah. I call it Bertonia, but uh, but it, it, it the yeah it's that's kind of I don't know own it man own don't it? Be, yeah, yeah okay. own it okay Same. all right Bertonia it is Bertonia yeah yeah what's the river called the river is called the Mondrian River Mondrian <laughs> so it's uh, awesome Bert and we look forward to more updates that, right. yeah right I uh, that that's what I, I like about this behind the collar stuff because mm-hmm. yeah interesting of how. You create this uh, this world. Yeah. Meanwhile, Belagan watches MXC. That's right. <laughs> That's my world. Indeed. <laughs> there you go. So, what are we doing next? Berg has he hasn't had much. Let's have a uh, a pastor piece theater. All right, Peter, play the intro.
So, uh, welcome to Pastor's Peace Theater with Pastor Berg. It's nice to be back in civilization. <laughs> and to see myself <laughs> sitting in a nice easy chair, mm. you know, with a smoking jacket, right, mm. and a pipe, right. Yeah, right. that and the music helps get you in the mood too, doesn't it? <laughs> Indeed, it it sure does. So, <clears throat> uh, since like what's going on? <laughs> no, I know what's going on. Since, since Peter uh, uh, got sick of garlic, you know, yeah, there was too much garlic. Oh, in I didn't his, say that in his in his diet. Uh, I decided to do something uh, a little different. Still from Faith Life, uh, it is by a man by a man called Carl Springer, great guy. He wrote uh, Luther's Aesop hmm. and Cicero in Heaven, two really great books that are worth reading for any of you who have any classical inclinations mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. in classical learning. Any relation to Jerry Springer? I wish, no. okay. but you know, <laughs> you are not. <laughs> but anyway, that's Maury. The, oh, sorry. Oh. Uh, that shows how much I know, actually. But uh, <laughs> the title of this is uh, On Church Growth, Lutheran Style, and Wittenberg Beer. It was written in July, of uh, July August of 1991. And uh, he goes through uh, church growth and gives a lot of great examples here. And I just wanted to read a really short piece uh, that actually has to do with numbers. So here we go. What's wrong with numbers? One Wisconsin Senate pastor is reported to have asked during a discussion of church growth, quote-unquote. He continued, After all, there's a book in the Bible called Numbers. There is, of course, nothing wrong with numerical growth. We know, for instance, from the Acts of the Apostles that the early church grew numerically under God's blessing. We should also observe, incidentally, the recurring phraseology in Acts, the word of the Lord grew. The emphasis is not on how many people were added, although that is noted, nor even how much value was added to the individual convert's spiritual life, but on the growth of the word. There is something quite wrong with numerical growth, however, if it becomes a matter of fearing, loving, and trusting in something other than God. The story of David and his obsession, he was quote-unquote provoked by Satan with counting the people in 1 Chronicles 21, and God's reaction to that, he was displeased and smote Israel, is a sobering reminder that numbers are not always a neutral issue, or as or we could also call it adiaphron. There is something about belonging to a big group that appeals to all of us. It is not unpleasant to be surrounded by lots of people who think and believe just the way you do, and it is a little depressing to be alone, to have a choir rehearsal with only three other people who show up. Luther, who was not a loner by nature, very few of us are really lone wolves, often found himself assailed by the devil at precisely this thought. Is it really possible that you alone are right and everyone else is wrong? Why are we so concerned with numbers? Why is that one of the first questions that comes into people's heads when they talk about a church with which they are unfamiliar? Jesus says that where even two or three are gathered together in his name, he is there in the midst of them. The answer, simply put, is that people are like money. One can never have enough. How much money does a person need? The great American industrialist Andrew Carnegie was once asked. A little bit more than you have, was his response. Forty-five, uh, 450,000 Wells membership is not enough. 2.6 million, the LCMS membership, is not enough. Why not? Because anything in this life, short of the infinitude of God, is not enough. This preoccupation with numbers is not something we have learned from the Bible, but rather from the society in which we live, whose attitudes and values we have absorbed with our mother's milk. 
The United States is a democracy, a system of government, where numbers do make a crucial difference in the political process at all levels, where public opinion polls dramatically shape public policy. George Marston admits that American evangelicals have all been shaped by the experience of living in a democratic society that places an emphasis on choosing for oneself and on simple populist approaches. But the kingdom of God is not necessarily a democracy. Just because our president bases his plans for the nation on public opinion polls does not mean that God does. And in any event, we Christians are certainly not called merely to ape the culture that surrounds us. Ye are the salt of the world, Jesus tells his disciples. A grain of salt is a tiny thing, but it flavors food more effectively than a bushel of sand. There are kinds of growth, growth other than numerical. When can, one can grow deep as well as wide, vertically as well as horizontally. Which is really more valuable in the long run, planting one fruit tree or a thousand mushrooms? The majority is not always right. In the church, it could perhaps be said that it is never right. One need only think of the remnant in the Old Testament. The prophets did not tailor their message to appeal to the vast crowds of Israelites deserting the faith for their, of their fathers for Baal worship, which, by the way, was experiencing phenomenal growth. The remnant, the minority, was what mattered. That was great. Yeah, it's yeah. Uh, 91. Yeah, 1991. Hmm. That was the year I graduated from high school. That was the year I went into eighth grade. So um, it's, it's funny how things don't change. Yeah, I mean, we're still having these conversations about church growth even to this day. And r- right now, I think this is one of the struggles particularly that is disheartening for pastors because what has COVID done? Yeah, it has uh, decimated the church um, in terms of... Uh, those that are actually attending, you know, the service, uh, you know, we're at, I think I, I was saying about 75% of where we were before. I think it's more like 50% right now, maybe, maybe 60, you know, it, it's rough. It's rough. The vicar and I were having kind of this discussion um, yesterday, even it's, it's hard for, for him. Cause he, there's still to get to know the people when you're here just for a year and try and get in a, a full Vicarage experience is tough right now mm-hmm. because, um, and I, for pastors behind the collar, it's not so much the numbers we're worried about. No, it's the souls, right? You know, it's it's the people. It's uh, you know they need they need Jesus. They need uh, the forgiveness of sins. They need Jesus' body and blood for the forgiveness of their sins and the strengthening of their faith. You know, and um, because of this pandemic and because of fear, really, um, you know, it just, it seems like uh, what matters most matters least in people's eyes. That, that, that is what I have found so evil about the pandemic is, yeah. is I was a pastor during 9-11. Yep. Um, and what happened? At least for a short time, it drove people to the churches. Right. In this particular crisis, what is it doing? It's driving people away, away from their churches, um, and and uh, that's that's difficult. You know, and of course, you know, we you 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 uh, you love people, and you you uh, realize that you know they are afraid of things, 
and you try to preach to them where they are. You call them on the phone. You try to go visit them in their homes. And I've got people right now that are telling me, well, don't come until COVID is over. You know, and I'm thinking, well, you know, when's that going to be? You know, and that's hard. That's hard. But but you, you do what you can and you realize there's a lot of fear out there and uh, it's not all their fault, but it, it's it's rough. Yeah. I did like how he began this section with uh, that smart that sort of smart aleck phrase mm-hmm. from that pastor, right? Yeah. And and I mean I I think this happens a lot where people have such a superficial understanding of the Bible that they give this smart aleck answer without actually thinking about it, without actually taking what the Bible actually says, right? You know, oh well, there's a book called Numbers, blah blah blah. <laughs> it's like stop being stupid. Sounds like something I would say. (laughs) But actually engage the Bible. It's kind of like everybody, and this is one thing too, well, we're we're just planting the seed. We're just planting the seed. It's like, yeah, do you know what the parable of the sower, how that went? It's like, yes, you're planting the seed. God's word doesn't return void. At the same time... Only one quarter. Only a quarter, you know? We... It's like we, we're so naive in a lot of this stuff, and we think that we're living in some Disney princess movie where it's all, you know, if we can just will it and just be uh, uh, good enough or, uh, or charismatic church, enough. Or if the church isn't growing, it's because you're not working hard enough. Yeah. Right. And yet, look at where that leads us. It leads us to Andrew Carnegie. How much is enough? Just a little bit more than what you have. Hmm. Hmm. Right? That That is and, always— And it affects the theology. Yeah. Well, I would even say it doesn't just affect it. It means the theology is wrong and rotten from the beginning. God's word isn't enough. Because, well, God's word isn't enough. Um, It's not based on Jesus' admonition that we're two or three. Uh, It's really, you care, and I've I've even seen this too, and I've wondered about this. Um, We talk so much about saving other people, which is the second table of the law, loving your neighbor. But the one we don't talk about very much is honoring God. Mm-hmm. I mean, think about it. From the perspective of Stephen, the first martyr, right, for the Christian church, if you just look at how many people he quote-unquote saved by his sermon, he's a complete failure, hmm. complete and utter failure. They took him out and they rocked him to sleep. <laughs> that was a little joke there for the audience at home. <laughs> rocked so, him to sleep. Yeah. But if you look at his sermon... It's because he was stoned. <laughs> oh, dear, that's even worse. <laughs> well, he was. But... <laughs> I'm sorry. I got this. Oh, all right, all right. Keep, yeah. keep going, Bert. That's, any, anyway, that's the brilliance. Any, anyways, it's, it's getting away from us here. Um, huh, um, if you look at it in the perspective that when Stephen spoke, when he made those proclamations, that he was honoring God that he was honoring God's name, that he was fulfilling the first commandment, then it all really falls into place. Because, in fact, it is Stephen's sermon that actually makes things, in a lot of ways, physically worse for the church. Mm-hmm. Because they kill him and this, and the church scatters. And yet, even though that might seem to be a bad thing, the word of the Lord grew. Mm-hmm. Something we said earlier yeah. um, is the fact that every member should know the Word of God, and talk to be able to talk in their various vocations about it. And that reflects that it is important 
to to get the word out where and when you can. Mm-hmm. But to measure success of that by numbers, right? Is, or you know, even how people do Sunday school, right? Uh, you know, being a teacher for Sunday school classes, that's all fine and good. But if it's being done at the expense of your own kids, right? That really, if you're teaching Sunday school in church to a group of 20, but not actually teaching it to your kids at home on a day-to-day basis, the ones that God has actually given to you to nurture in the faith, uh, you're doing something wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, look, we God gave you that one kid, those two kids, whatever, right? Take time with the one, mm-hmm. you know? Take time with the one. Nurture the one. Um, don't try to plant a thousand mushrooms. You know, hmm. I think. And, and, I, I think, and, and I have a- noticed. I have noticed that the people who say who are very focused on numbers will also say, maybe you're having too many children, <laughs> right? Or their own kids have left. Which yeah. you know, whether but whether because of something they've done or failed to do. Or maybe they didn't do anything at all. Maybe they taught them. You know, we we don't know. Yeah. Um, but th- that's the thing. It's like, and this is a, a, a special temptation for pastors and Lutheran school teachers, where you put so much time and effort into the classroom or into the church, and then you forget about the ones at home. There, there's a proverb that uh, it's the, uh, you know, it's the, uh, the 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 baker's kids often go. You know, the baker's kids are often thin, mm. right? Mm. We feed others without feeding our own. Um, and there's a reason why they make, you know, uh, the pastor might have a wife, but he also has the mistress, mm. the congregation, right? right? That, uh, and this is a hard, I mean, this is a hard thing that we have to, Definitely. you kind of, I mean, you have to work through it mm-hmm. because, um, you know, in order to, and I don't know if you ever really balance your vocations hmm. in a perfect way. They're always in know? conflict. They're always they in conflict. Well, not okay. Let, let me put it this or way. Or it's not always pulling always. you in different directions. Yeah, but they, they they can put you into conflict with one another. You know, like the other day here. You know, I had the uh, I had the opportunity to go and uh, spend some time with my wife and my youngest daughter at uh, a place where there's nature stuff going on. My 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 daughter loves that. And uh, we were going to go together to that. But right as we were about to leave, I got a phone call basically asking somebody, somebody asked me to come over and talk to them for a while. And it was not a dire emergency, but it was emergency enough, you know. Right. And what do you do? You just go. You have to go. Right. You know, and I, this was something that happened to me as a kid all the time, or at least as far as I remember it, you know, like, like I remember one time I had just gone down the water slide one time. And I heard over the loudspeakers, Pastor Herbert Miller, can you please contact the uh, white courtesy telephone? We have a phone call. This is before cell phones. You right. Know? Yeah, yeah. Anyway, back in the 80s, you know. And so my dad went and took a phone call. We had just gotten to the water park. And, of course, you know, somebody had just died, and Dad had to go and, and be a pastor, you know. And we had to leave the water park. <laughs> it was rather disappointing as a 10-year-old child. But, mm-hmm. but you know, there's also this understanding, too, though, that um, that – my dad was doing something that people really needed, you know, and uh, I needed him. People, other people needed him too, and it's hard to balance that out. In fact, it's impossible. But, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, um, he also took time for me, you know, too. But and that's and that's why I think it's important to take vacations yeah. too. Oh yeah, because 
you know, where you can. And I think a lot of pastors, I don't know if it's so much our generation, but I do notice it in a few of our people like my age, mm-hmm. you know, I, but I do think it is a temptation for pastors too. Well, I can't get away. I can't get away, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And it's like, no, you, you need, you to need get, it. You need yeah. to get, not just for you, but for your wife and for your kids and, you know, Peter, so. I was going to ask, do you have, when you, when you hear that story of the water park, do you have instances where you can think of where that was an issue for you? Uh, nothing that jumps out, nothing I, I can remember where it's like, we can't do something. If we were, if, if there was something like that, we'd probably try and do it without you. Cause you were pretty good about not making that a, an issue, I guess. Well, right. that's cool. Good job. Yeah. But that was, that happens. But like I said, maybe cell phones change things too. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. Well, yeah, cell phones change things. Having more than one vehicle kind of change things. Definitely. Um, we only had one. That's right. <laughs> you know, yeah. well, like my wife and I, we only have one vehicle, and I think the rest of my family kind of thinks we're we're nuts that way. But it's like, I don't know, they're money pits. So yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, I I mean I do think it's a. Uh, and, you know, I think a lot of guys actually, they do struggle with this. And it's a hard balance. And it's it's not one that I don't think you can ever really resolve in this life. No. Which is why we run to the forgiveness of sins. Well, and, and it's also, yeah, it's why we run to the forgiveness of sins. And it's also why, you know, you uh, I think it's important for any pastor to teach his family uh, and, and to model this for the family as well to say, hey, you know, this is important what I do, but I'm always going to be back home to 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 lead you and to to, to teach you. And um, I think um, I think that is that is essential for for any pastor to to model that and show that that yes, there are conflicts with our with our vocations. Any vocation can be in conflict with another vocation, you know. And and it's good to model how to deal with that. You deal with it by repenting of your sins, definitely, and by saying I'm sorry, but this is what we have to do now. But we're going to do something else later, you know, and that's how I handle it with my daughter. I don't know. And I mean, this doesn't even have to be necessarily pastors, but right. even just even just uh, some people's work and jobs. I mean, where yeah, we're they... not immune to that. Because one thing I like about being a, a pastor is you actually do have freedom for other times where you can, since during the week, a lot of times you make your own schedule. Right. Where if there is like a doctor's appointment you want to be at, or there is something during the week where you can rearrange your time to 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 make things happen. That is actually, in some ways, you're allowed, you're able to be, because you're not just clocking in and clocking out. Right. Where you can be available at other times. That's important. Right. Definitely. Very good. So. Not to say we we do really have the best station in the world. Mm-hmm. It's really amazing how we have time to read, to spend with our families. And when we do get called, like, it is life and death. It's greater than life and death. Yeah. Well, I, I can say that, and I think, Bert, you probably experienced this too, is um, as a, a pastor's son, um, I kind of like the life that I I had. And if I was a, a good childhood and it was a life that I wanted to continue, there was an aspect of that. You know, I also always saw the challenge, but my, my father made a point of of showing that it was a joy to do my work. Mm-hmm. to do his work. Yeah. And uh I think I I got that joy too. And I think Peter, yeah. I think maybe you hopefully you saw that in me as your father that uh 
that I really enjoyed being a pastor as well, yeah. that there was a, a joy about it. My, my dad would tell you this, and, uh, you know, he would, uh, he would, he, he was a workaholic, you know, and that, that is a temptation, but that's just how God built him, I think, you know, he mm-hmm. just, he just, he loved working uh, with, with God's word, working with God's people and, and preaching and teaching. Um, it was just his joy, you know, but, uh, um, you know, I, he, ha- he had to find time to do something a little different sometimes. So, yeah. Anyway. All right. I think that is a, a good way to end the show. Thank you, Hannah, for the interview, for your story about the birth of your beautiful baby girl. Uh, thanks be to God that she's baptized into Christ. And, uh, yeah, we look forward to having you on the show again and, and telling us more stories, more horrific stories about, <laughs> you know, because I tell you what, <laughs> they were interesting. So I'm Bullhagen. I'm Berg. I'm Bert. I'm Vicar. And may your Mondrian River be peaceful. Thank you for joining us. This podcast is available on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Questions, thoughts, concerns? You can contact us on Facebook at facebook.com slash podcast, on Twitter at clericalheirsp for podcast, or email us at feedback at clericalheirs.org. Thanks for listening to Clerical Heirs. See you next time.